Welcome to New Covenant Church. You're listening to this week's message with teaching pastor Daryl Feemster. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. We're in a series called Glimpses of Glory. And uh, we've been, uh, uh, while I'm saying Pastor Chris is doing good, he'll be back in a couple of weeks and, and we're excited. I'll be excited to see Pastor Chris. And uh, we're, we're, we're excited. He's he's. He's enjoying the sabbatical, and I know God's meeting with him, and we're excited to hear what God is doing. Second uh, Kings chapter 5, we're talking about glimpses of glory. When we say glory, we're talking about the manifest conscious presence of the essence of God manifest in the physical realm. It's God doing and being what He alone can do and be. God declaring and demonstrating Himself in person and in power. And uh, the last couple of weeks, I've been been praying about this, and I'm just kind of under the realization that uh, how do you know when God's glory comes? Everybody says, well, you'll know it, but what, how do you know? How do you know when God's manifest presence comes? How do you know when things of God are happening? And then that led to another question that, that got my mind, and that's where we're going with the message this morning. What if God comes different than what we're expecting? What if God comes different than what our past, our understanding, our interpretation, what we're expecting? You see, we in America, we like things done our way. Now, I'm I'm old. I remember the 70s commercial for Burger King. Anybody alive in the 70s? Yeah, a few of you. Burger King, have it your way, remember? I, I, I could I could say the little jingle, hold the pickles, hold the lettuce, special orders don't upset us. All we ask is that you let us serve it your way. Yeah. I didn't know that there was a second verse. And it says this, We can serve your whole beef whopper, fresh with everything on top or anything, any way you think is proper, have it your way. The reason I'm saying that, October the 10th, 2022, they adapted this jingle and made a new one. And it's kind of got a hip-hop, and I'm not doing hip-hop. <laughs> but I'm going to show you where we've come to. You know, back in the 70s, have it your way. Well, now, in the 2022s, it's you rule. You rule. I do things the way I want to do them, make my own rules, and listen to them. Don't let anyone go and rain on my parade. You rule. I think I want a flame grill classic. A Whopper sure does sound fantastic. I tell them how I want to have it, and they say, okay. You rule. You seize the day at BK, Burger King. You can have it your way. You rule. Isn't it amazing that in our society today, we we have this attitude of whatever I want, I can get. I want it my way. Somebody, some statistician did a calculation and discovered there's 1,024 different ways you can have a Whopper. Can you imagine what the options are at Subway? We live in a generation that expects to have it our way. And as I was thinking, and the reason I did this is because it hit me when, when they... I saw the advertisement of the new jingle and I thought, man, have we come, have we come a ways? But we still expect it our way. And then God said something 
very specific to me. He said, Daryl, my way is sovereignly specific. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Then Peter says in Acts chapter 4, he says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. While we love our options and we love our choices, God is sovereignly specific. Here's my point. The title of this sermon today is, God's glory comes His way. God's glory comes His way. If you're going to experience God's glory, you must experience it His way. And here's my fear. My fear is many will miss the glory of God in our day because they're waiting for it to come their way. The way we want it. The way we're, it's easy. The way that's comfortable. The way that will fit our theology and our interpretation. In 2 Kings chapter 5, I want to share a story with you. We're going to go at verse by verse. And I just want to bring some things out of this. is a story about a man named Naaman. Naaman. He's a Syrian officer. Let's look at verse 1 of chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor. Can you imagine this being said about you? Here is a commander of the army of the king. Literally, he'd be the secretary of defense. He was a man of position and power and prominence. He was great and honorable in the eyes of the king. He was respected and accepted and acceptable. And he was victorious. He is a winner. But look at where he got his success. He says, because by him the Lord had given victory... To Syria. The Aramaic translation of the Old Testament in Kings and Chronicles. In, in 1 Kings chapter uh, 22, I think it is, it talks about a certain man shot an arrow and it went and hit certain, it just went into the breastplate just perfectly to strike King Ahab, the king of Israel. God said he was going to die. And this certain man shot an arrow. The Aramaic translation of the Old Testament says that man was Naaman. That Naaman was the one who shot the arrow that struck King Ahab and showed the judgment of God on Israel. Naaman, a man of valor, of courage and strength. Can you imagine what more could be said about a man, or what more could a man want to be said about him? But read the last words of that verse, that he was a leper. All of these great things said about Naaman, and then it says, but he was a leper. A leper. A tragic exception. He was victim of an incurable, incurable disease. The privileged and honored Naaman was a leper. In Bible days, there was no prescribed remedy. Leprosy is uniquely qualified in the Old Testament, in fact, in Scripture, as a picture of sin. It began insignificantly. A rising, a scab, a bright spot, and so trivial that no attention is paid to it until without warning, the diagnosis leaves you devastated. Leprosy. Leprosy. In Israel, they required a leper to, to be away from the people. The law. There's more laws written about leprosy in Leviticus than you can probably remember. But the whole point being that God was having it was incurable unless God did it. And in leprosy, 
they had the people removed. There was leper camps and things. They separated. They couldn't go to the temple. They couldn't worship. They couldn't do those things. But not in Syria. He was, he was Secretary of Defense and a leper. And he's fixing to come to Israel. He's fixing to come to Samaria and with all of his chariots and everything as a leper. And all I'm saying that is realize we see sin differently in our world today. In the church, we have this idea of sin. But let me tell you, we're quickly losing our idea. It's no longer leprosy in the church either, is it? Okay, I'll quit preaching there and I'll go on. The whole point being, it's a disease. It's a disease of the nervous system. And I will show you how good of a picture it is of sin. The nervous system. When we think of the nervous system and a disease in the nervous system, we think of the spine, the brain, and all the nerves that come out from the spinal cord to the body. But leprosy is different. Leprosy is a bacteria that starts and it attacks the nerves at their extremities. In other words, it doesn't start inside and work out. It starts outside and works in. And so the fingertips and those things, the nose and the ears, the extremities, they lose their feeling. They literally become past pain. And suddenly, because they lose their feeling, they lose supply, they begin to atrophy, and literally, they fall off. They become deformed. They don't, and they can't feel pain. And I thought, what a picture of sin. It starts out, it looks so simple, it looks so benign, it looks like this. You know, it's really nothing compared to the big issues of life. But it's working its way, deforming our lives until it is destruction. It is incurable apart from the blood of Jesus Christ. The wages of sin is death. And let me tell you, that that doesn't just mean for the church, that's for all men. And it's amazing how easy it is that like leprosy, sin is subtle and it often seems to be painless. But in the end, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's death. It's separation from people and from God. Leprosy was a state of living death. And it just made me stop and look at this story and I'm thinking, how many people in our world today have a good position in the world? They have prominent station in the eyes of the world. They have, they may have done good in their business and accomplished that which gains them praise in the world by human standards. You may be honorable in the sight of your peers, but how do you appear in the eyes of God? Naaman was a great man, but a leper. Helpless and hopelessly dying. So too is everyone who is a sinner. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've got to understand that nobody gets by with sin. Nobody. And until we come to realize that, we will not look for the remedy. Naaman had all of the things that a man could want, but he was a living dead man. Verse 2. And the Syrians had gone, on the, gone out on raids and had brought back a captive young girl from the land of Israel. And she waited on Naaman's wife. Verse 3. Then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria... For he would heal him of his leprosy. Isn't it amazing how God knows how to get the right people in the right place for the right time? This little girl, she knew who her God was. She knew who the prophet was. She knew 
Even though she was a captor in a foreign land, she held on to what she knew to be truth. And God, this little girl was genuinely concerned about her captor. In a simple way, she declared the good news of deliverance. And now who would pay any mind to a little slave girl's words? And yet a little slave girl was willing to use the opportunity that she had to touch the world with her faith, which led to the glory of God. Who would pay attention to a little... Who would pay attention to a nobody? Somebody who needs healing. Don't ever underestimate what your words mean to somebody else. Don't ever underestimate. You think you didn't do anything, but God might be doing something right in the middle of what you said. If only my master were with the prophet who's in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. Verse 4, Naaman went in and he told his master, the king, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who's from the land of Israel. Naaman heard the word of a maiden and went and told the king. Verse 5, I'll show you how bad we can miss what God offers us. The king of Syria said, Go down, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed, and he took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothes. Now, you do realize the little girl said nothing about the king of Israel. But you see, kings don't talk to to prophets. Kings talk to kings. You know, why go to a prophet when you can go write a letter to the king? Why go empty-handed... Little girl said nothing about the price of it. Why go empty-handed when you can demonstrate how rich you are? I have an open Bible here, and as I read those, uh, it has a little margin out there, and it says that amount of money would be $3.8 million today. He didn't go empty-handed. $3.8 million. You know, we'd, we'd pray for healing for $3.8 million, wouldn't we? Now, listen to me. We would, wouldn't we? But God doesn't heal for three point eight million. And it doesn't cost you to get healed except your pride. All right. This king's letter, verse six, uh, gives the king of Israel a panic attack. Look at verse six and seven. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel which said, Now be advised. When this letter comes to you, that I have sent Naaman, my servant, to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. Period. Verse 7, And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. What a contrast in faith, right? The little girl said, if only if he was in Israel with, my, with the prophet, he'd be healed. And here is the king of Israel saying, impossible. He's trying to pick a fight. The little girl believed in God and King Jehoram didn't believe in God and didn't believe in Elisha. And he suspects a trick that's wanting to take his throne away. Verse 8, So it was, when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, 
that he sent to the king and said, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me, and he shall know that there's a prophet in Israel. The man of God. Then look at verse 9. Then Naaman, he went with his horses and chariot, and literally it's chariots in Hebrew, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger out to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious. And he went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the Avna and the Parfar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. He came from Syria to see the king with his treasures to be healed. And he went away in a rage. Why would he be mad? He was on the verge of experiencing the glory of God Almighty and he gets mad. Why? Because the remedy didn't fit his expectations. He will surely come out to me, but he didn't. He will surely stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over that place. No, he just sent a servant with a message. He sent a servant with the word of the Lord. Washing the Jordan River. I've been to the Jordan. It's muddy. In Damascus, those rivers are praised for their cool coldness and their clarity or clearness. Why couldn't I go wash there? What angered him was that he would have to submit to somebody else's way. He came to Elisha, stricken with a horrible disease. And yet he came seated in his chariot. He was as good as dead, and yet he wanted to maintain his official position and circumstance. He was a man that could do nothing to be healed, But his horses were heavy laden with silver and gold. The abscess of pride had not yet burst. Instead of coming to God just as we are, in all of our want and woe, as the unraveling of our lives seemed to happen at the seams, we try to make ourselves presentable and pleasing. We're faced with a decision. Will we keep our pride or receive our healing? Will we maintain our prominence or humble ourselves at the foot of the cross? Will we hold on to our position or will we lay everything down to come to Jesus? It's amazing to me how we can take the Word of the Lord and interpret it our way. With our comfort. With our position. With our place. 
And what's really amazing is he still had servants. The little girl told him where to go, and now he has servants to tell him to go back. Look at verse 13. And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, you would, would, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? It's amazing. We expect we get something from God when we do something great for God, don't we? We expect that somehow, if we just get everything right, if we get everything in the right position, if we do everything right, all of these, if He would ask us of great things, we'd do it. But if when it's little mundane, like humble yourself, those kind of things, why? That's, that, that's not God. In essence, His servants were saying, what do you have to lose? Let me tell you what He had to lose. Leprosy. Verse 14, so he went down and dipped seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. I want to get you, I want you to just see this picture in your mind if you would. He goes on down to Jordan. It doesn't say that the servant is with him. It does, somehow we have the recording of it, so we know that some, there's a recorded it. But the whole point, it didn't say Elisha went with him. It didn't say that, you know, he wasn't baptized in the Jordan. He went down and dipped. He went down, listen, get the picture. He gets out of his chariot. He left his silver and his gold behind. He probably took off his robes of honor and he waded out into a muddy river. And he plunged himself under once and probably just came out wet and then he did it again and again and again until a full seven times what this saying is he surrendered he surrendered he surrendered his place. He surrendered his prominence. He surrendered every aspect of his life. No longer did his reputation, place, or position matter. He was submitting to the word of the Lord through the prophet. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. Now I want you to hear this. He didn't just get the spots cleared up. You see, most of us would be satisfied if God would just take care of our past. Most of us would be satisfied if we would just take get me over the guilt of my sin. If He would just heal the spots of my past. Most of us would be satisfied if He would just make me better. God doesn't want to make you better. He wants to make you new. God doesn't want to just heal the little thing. He wants to heal everything. God doesn't want to just make you better. He wants to make you whole and holy. He wants to make you a new creation. Where old things have passed away and everything became new. Here was a battled warrior. Had been in the sun through the major battles. Can you imagine what he looked like? And when he came out of the water the seventh time, he had a baby's complexion. The manifest glory of God must have shone on a man's face who now became child in God's presence. 
You've got to understand, when He gave up His way, God did it God's way. He was fully and perfectly healed. Not a single spot of His leprosy remained. But look at verse 15. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his aides, and he came and stood before him. He's no longer in a chariot. He came and stood before him. And he said, Indeed now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now I want you to note the words here. Indeed now I know that there's no God in all the earth except in Israel. Here's my point. He got more than a healing. He got a revelation. He got more than a healing. You remember when he first, when he got mad, he said, I thought. I thought he had come out. I thought he had waved his hand. I thought he had prayed to his God. I thought, I thought, I thought. Now he says, I know. You know, most of us, if we're not careful, we will have a thinking theology. I think God would do this, and I think God will do that, and I think God was this, I think God, I think that is God, I don't think that's God. I think, I think, I think. Let me tell you, you need to get past your thinking into a revelation of who God is. And here's what I want you to see. He didn't say, I know God is real. He says, I know the real God. He's the only one. The God of Israel is the only God. I know the real God. See, there's a difference between knowing God is real and knowing the God who is real. There's a lot of people that believe that Jesus existed, that He had died on a cross, that He went into a tomb, and He was raised the third day, and He ascended back to the Father. There's a lot of people who will think it through and believe and agree with it. But how many meet the Jesus that rose from the grave? How many know Jesus? Because He's not dead. He's alive. He's not future. He's present. He doesn't just take care of your past. He takes care of your all. I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. I'm not going to cover it now, but He takes he loads up two mule uh, loads of dirt from Israel to take over to Syria because He's going to worship no other God but the real God He met. You say, why would He take two mule loads of dirt? Because in Exodus it talks about that God says you can't worship me except on the ground with the nothing that man's hands have touched. In other words, you don't form it. It's just going to be what I've created and you'll worship me as the real God. This man takes back Israel's soil to Syria so that he'll worship. And he even goes so far to say, I hope that, that, that God will forgive and not hold me guilt ridden for it, but I still have to go into my, with my servant, with my king, I have to serve him in idolatrous places. He literally was come, he says, I know that's nothing, but I'm gonna have to serve him, but I know there's only one God, the God of Israel. Let me ask you a question. How many gods are there for you? How many gods are there for you? A lot of times we have an Old Testament God. We have a New Testament God. We have a God that will take care of my past. We have a God that will take care of my future. I have a God that will take care of my finances. I have a God. 
When is it going to be when we bow down to the Lord Jesus and Him alone? Because He is our Savior and Lord. He's the Master. And God has put all things over to Him and everything's going to be under His feet. He's Master. He's King. Do you know Him? Well, I think we've got to get past the thinking to the revelation of knowing Him. I know there's no other God. Let me tell you why God healed. God healed that He might know Him. God didn't heal so He'd be have a flesh like a baby. Hear me? That flesh is going to tan again. It wasn't about the flesh. You see, most of us think, if God would just take care of my flesh, I'd be okay. It was about Him knowing the real God. And He knows Him. And that He would give our heart, that we would give our heart. He, he heals us that we might know Him and that we would give our heart, our entire life to Him. God's glory comes His way. Here's my fear, because I've experienced it. My fear is that so many of us will miss the glory of God because we don't like the wrapping it comes in. He comes in a way that we're not comfortable with. He starts to meddle in places we don't want Him to meddle. He starts to deal with things that we didn't even know we had a problem in. So we don't want God. We don't want God to touch that. God, don't touch. I mean, you can touch everything else, but don't touch this. Let me just tell you, back in the 90s, began to hear about things taking place in, uh, in other places of the world. Toronto specifically was the first thing that we'd heard. We'd heard about God was moving this, having revival. Everything was taking place and all of this. And, and I'm going to tell you this because uh, I could say I didn't know any better, but it didn't matter because I was, I was in a thinking relationship. I was pastoring this church. And they were talking about things going on in other places, a big revival. And it was in, it didn't matter where it was, but it was in Toronto. And uh, people began to say, have you been to Toronto? Are you going to Toronto? And I said, I don't have to go to Toronto. God's here. God can send revival anywhere He wants to. He's here. And I'd be just like y'all saying, Amen. That's right. That's right. But what if God wanted you to go to Toronto? Yeah, but I'd already set my attitude that if God wants to do it, He knows where He knows my address. He knows where I live. And He knows I'm surrendered to Him. I don't have to go anywhere to find God. And so God, being God, when I wouldn't respond to Him, He told another person in this church to pay my way to Toronto. Because I wouldn't have paid my way to Toronto. Because I had other uses for my money. How about y'all? I wouldn't go to Toronto. I didn't need to because God didn't. He could do it right here because He lives in me. Paid mine and Connie's way to Toronto. And in Toronto, I walk in there and one thing I didn't know is God was there. And the other thing I knew is I was totally offended. I can't believe these people. And then God began to do things in me. And suddenly I had to start repenting of my own heart, my own attitude, my own life. 
because I'd put a barrel, a box. I had, I had told this church that I'd kick the box sides off and I was no longer going to be boxed in. And I found myself boxed in telling God what He would do and what He wouldn't do. And I had to go there, had to repent. Had to repent. And, and while in Toronto, God allowed me to experiencing, to experience Him that has transformed my relationship with Him and it still has been. Now, I'm still looking for another encounter. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But here's what I want you to hear in it. When I went there and God did it, I came back with a new revelation of God and now I knew how God spoke to me. I literally could tell when I was in God's presence. It was now personal. It was no longer a theology. It was something in a book. It was now mine. And I knew how God did for me as an individual. And suddenly God began to do it in the church. You're going to hear more about that next Sunday. God began to do it in the church. It's not comfortable. But God began to transform lives. Because he became personal. He was no longer theology on a book, but he became a real person in our lives. And why I'm trying to tell you this now is because I want to, I want to tell you, I had, I had an attitude. Let me tell you, every time I hear God somewhere, I'm wanting to go. Why? Because I know what he'll do. I know what he's doing. You say, well, preacher, we need to go to little trips. No, that's not what we're saying. You need to get over your bad attitude. You need to get over the attitude that God's got to do it your way. He's got to do it a Baptist way. He's got to do it a Methodist way. Or He's got to do it a non-denominational way. You've got to get over your attitude that God has to do it your way. And realize when God wants to do it, He'll have somebody else pay your way so that you'll get the benefit of it because He loves you that much. And I love you that much to say, let's go for the glory. Let's go for the glory. So let me close with this. There's some, there's some of us that have been playing with the leprosy for so long we've become numb to the sin. We've become numb to the sin. We just think it's okay. See, there's just as much sin in the church as there is in the world. We just we put Christian ease around it. The devil has sold us a bill of goods and he has his, he knows exactly where to push your button to defeat you, to terrify you, to keep you from walking with God. And we think it's okay. Oh, it's, it's, everybody has those problems. Let me tell you, Jesus didn't come to, to, to just help you out. He came to make you new. You don't have to play with sin anymore. God has given you victory over sin through the blood of Jesus Christ. His Holy Spirit is here to set you free from everything, everything of your leprosy, everything that is deadening the end, that you've, you've start to feel different about things. Things are okay now that used to not be okay. I don't care what anybody, I don't even care what the church feels about it. I'm asking you, what does God feel about it? And are you willing to get out of your, let me say, let me say it a text, get off your high horse and say, God, take care of my leprosy. Heal me of my situation. Deal with my sin. We all have stuff. Would anybody admit it with me? We all have stuff. We all have it. Why don't we just allow 
the Holy Spirit to manifest His presence in our lives. And I believe He will do it very individually that will make it corporate. God doesn't want to set a crowd loose. He wants to set you free so that you can be a part of His crowd that sets the world free. Stand with me. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, we give You free reign, whatever You want to do. Do in our hearts this morning. Lord, I lay it down. I surrender. Lord, I recognize I still got boxes put up. I've got walls. I've got places of pride. I've got, I've got places of areas in my own life that I still am having dealing with, trying to let it go. And God, I'm saying this morning, I'm saying with this congregation, Lord, we lay it down. Do whatever you want to. Because we want to be free. We want to be filled. God, come do it your way. And I don't say you're going to do it the way you did it in the 90s. I'm not saying you're going to do it. In fact, I probably I expect it to be totally different because you are God and we're not. So we trust you. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that has never trusted the real Jesus, they've trusted the, maybe they've trusted the, the doctrine and the, the teachings and stuff, but they've never met the person of Jesus Christ. I pray this morning they'd say yes to you. They'd lay down every aspect and say, Jesus, I want to know you. Lord, there's people here that need your healing touch. But Lord, help them to know you're not going to heal them so that they would be a be whole physically but you want to heal them that they would know you and know what you can do and know what plans you have for them Father whatever disease whatever thing is in our way whatever wall we built up Lord we lay it down we break through we, we set it aside and we ask you to do it in our lives this morning in Jesus name I'm going to invite you just to be still before the Lord Amanda's going to sing This song, we sang it earlier, but listen to the words of it. And then respond to the Holy Spirit of what He's saying to you. And whatever He's telling you to do, surrender to it.
anyone have what was being said in English that you could share with the body? Anyone have an interpretation with that? Anyone have an impression? 1 Corinthians 14 says, If a tongue is given in the assembly, it was to be done, be interpreted that the whole body would be lifted up. My children, praise me, praise me, my children, and I will cleanse you. I will cleanse you. I feel like the Lord is saying that you are bound by spiritual deafness that you're to remove it from your heart, that you're able to hear what I have for you. It's not to scare you. It's not to confuse you. But it is to bring you into my presence. Hear me. Hear me. Don't fear me in the sense of be afraid of me. Hear me. Step into His presence. Father, we bless you and we honor it. Lord, we receive that if we praise you, you will cleanse us. If we hear you, you're going to lead us into your presence. We trust you to do that in our lives this week. Manifest your glory as we walk through these doors. Lord, I pray that we will carry the fire of your presence. Lord, we set aside every wall and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message.